You know, we all, I believe, have a complex relationship with authority, or at least I do. On the one hand, we all want a, the, to benefit from a society that is structured, a society that has some order to it. For example, when you leave here today and you drive out onto the street and you are heading either home or to the restaurant where you want to have lunch, your expectation, and I think that it's a good expectation, is that as you get down to the, the, the road a little ways, when you come to the intersection, you're not going to get T-boned because there are going to be people who are following the order that has been placed upon our roads, speed limits, stop signs, traffic lights, and so on and so forth. I believe that you and I have a reasonable expectation that there should be some level of order inside our workplace so that when I show up and I do my job the way that I'm supposed to, I get a paycheck at the end of the week. There's an expectation that we would benefit from a society and from relationships that have some structure and order to them. However, for there to be order and structure in our lives, in our relationships, there have to be people that have the authority to create and then enforce that structure and order. There need to be police officers who are hopefully enforcing the law of the road. There need to be lawyers. There need to be politicians who are setting laws around us. There need to be supervisors at work that are keeping track and making sure that we are following the rules of our institution and our workplace. The problem for us, though, is when we realize, just as Pastor Mike led us in this time of prayer and this time of confession, that every single one of those people who are given a gift of authority in this life are broken and sinful, right? Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your boss is not an exception to that. The police officer outside on the road is not an exception to that. Your mom and dad are not an exception to that. And so when we realize that the people who have authority in our lives are broken and, and wicked oftentimes, our problem is that we easily feel justified in resisting their authority. When we realize that the people that are around us are as broken as we are, we easily feel justified in refusing to honor the authority that they have in our lives. You know, my boss, he's incompetent, so why should I listen to him? The police officer is prejudiced, so why should I care for him? That senator or president or congresswoman is ignorant, why should I respect them? My parents are just so out of touch, uncaring, or unfair, why should I have to honor them? But despite our justification in our own minds of for dishonoring the people around us that we deem unworthy, God has a different and a better design for our lives. God has a design for our world and for our culture where authority is supposed to be honored wherever it is found. And the training grounds for this culture of honor is the home. Which is why when we come here to Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, we find one specific command in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 where Moses records the words of the Lord that says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our honor. You are worthy of our respect because you are perfect in every possible way. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning confessing our brokenness and 
confessing the reality of the brokenness of our world. And because of our ongoing struggle with sin and the ongoing struggle with sin and those that are around us, Heavenly Father, it is easy for us to justify our independence, our rebellion, our resistance to those that are in positions of authority in our lives by your divine design and will. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning as we meditate on this passage of Scripture, as we chew on it to hopefully understand better, Heavenly Father, what it is that you mean for it in our lives and how it is that we can be obedient to it. Pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit to bring us conviction, to bring us clarity, and to bring us courage to go out into the world and live lives that are countercultural, lives that are instead devoted to a culture that you have established and that you desire, and it's reflected in your word, which is good and perfect. So, Father God, I pray that you would take control of this time. My heart, my lips, my words, my mind, everything, Heavenly Father, that it might glorify you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. By way of a brief review, the Ten Commandments, if you'll remember, break down into two sections. Those sections reflect what Jesus Christ said and how he summarized the Law and the Prophets in Matthew chapter 22. There, after being questioned by a lawyer, he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He goes on to say, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus has summarized the law with those two commands to love. First, we're to love the Lord. And second, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've been looking at the first four commands which govern our relationship with the Lord. They instruct us in who we are to worship, how we're to worship him, how we're to honor and carry his name in our lives, and when we are supposed to worship him or how it is that we're to structure our lives based on the calendar, the the command that the Lord has given to us and the pattern that he has established in our lives by honoring the Sabbath. The last six we see govern how we are, we are to interact with our neighbors. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. On and on we'll see. So this command, the fifth command, is the first that comes in instructing us in how it is that God expects us as those who have been brought into a covenant relationship with him, right? We don't keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved, God starts the Ten Commandments declaring, I am the God who saved you, therefore this is how you will live. And so in the way that we are instructed to live as those who have been saved by God, we are to honor the authority of those that are over us in our lives. And the first place where we learn this, the first place we learn to love our neighbors is in our home. Because what we see in general is that the heart of of our society is the home. From the earliest generations of the church, Christians have recognized that the broader principle of this specific command is bigger than our homes and our families and how we govern them. Instead, the parent-child relationship is an indicator of the broader authority relationships that are out or throughout society. All the way back to Augustine, who was one of the church fathers. Augustine asked this question, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? 
If a child is rebellious and refuses to honor his mother and father, how can we expect that child to be respectful of a police officer, of a teacher, of an employer, of a politician? Christians throughout the centuries have understood that there is a broader principle at play, and that is how it is that we honor those who are in authority. If we have homes where authority is honored, where respect is given, where parents are kind and just and gracious, where love and mercy abound, then we're going to have a society that reflects that. But if we have homes that are filled with animosity and abuse, with resentment or rebellion, then we're going to see a society that looks like chaos. We can see the promise that this is a bigger principle attached to this command. Because the promise speaks to how honoring father and mother actually affects the broader society. Paul points this out in his instructions to the Ephesians when he quotes this command. There he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. And then he quotes the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Question is, what does that mean? Is this just, you know, early days of Spock, live long and prosper? If I honor my mom and my dad, then I, I get to live to 120 years old. What does it mean with a promise that if you honor your father and mother, that you might live long in the land? The truth of the matter is it, it can't mean that if I honor father and mother, then I get long days, many years of life. Because the truth of the matter is we all probably have a testimony of someone in our lives that we know who honored their father and their mother well and died young. And there's testimony of those that we know did not honor their father and mother at all, and yet they lived extremely long lives. So it doesn't bear out in our lives that this is a promise that if I do what mom and dad say, if I make my bed when I'm supposed to, brush my teeth when I'm supposed to, do my homework when I'm supposed to, take out the trash when I'm supposed to, etc., then I get to live a long life. So if that's not what it means, what must it mean? We can't focus on the long life. We must understand the broader principle that God promises long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You see, God is tying this to the broader covenant that he has entered into with his people. And part of that covenant is that God promises his people, if you will keep my covenant, I will place you in a land where you will live in a relationship with me, and in that relationship you will be a testimony to the world. But if you fail to keep my covenant, if you fail to walk in obedience and in relationship with me, then you'll be disciplined, specifically you'll be exiled out of the land and sent back into slavery. And so God is tying this command to honor father and mother with that broader theological covenantal promise. That means that this command is a big deal. Their collective experience as a people, as a nation of Israel, their fellowship with God and the safety of their land is dependent upon their broader keeping of the covenant, but specifically rooted all the way down into how they honor their father and their mother. Do you see, it's the seed that gets planted that is the bigger picture. 
How you honor your father and your mother indicates how you live in your society, how this particular society lives, whether in keeping with God's covenant or not, makes the difference in whether or not they stay in the land or they get exiled and back into slavery. So we have to be careful that we don't just skip past this. It's easy, I think, for many of us in this room to say, well, you know what, I'm not a kid anymore, and so this is for so-and-so. This is for my child, my grandchild, or that child over there, or whatever else. But the truth of the matter is, it's so much bigger than that. This is a promise, this is a command that affects society as a whole because the heart of a society is its home. And so if we're going to carefully understand what God intends in this command, we need to be able to understand a few key principles. And what is overarching over this command is first this notion, we honor others best when we honor God first. We honor others best when we honor God first. See, we need to understand that when we come to these Ten Commandments, those first four that tell how we are to live in relationship with God, how we're to worship the Lord, they are over and govern the last six. They are before the last six for a reason. Our obligation to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength puts certain limits on our obedience to the authorities that exist in our lives. Jesus himself emphasized this in Matthew chapter 10. There he says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So just because we're to honor our father and our mother does not put that command above the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. You are not to elevate your mother or your father to the place that only God belongs. You are to love God first. So honoring our parents and anyone who's an authority in us must never be uh, elevated to that place where it conflicts or competes with our loyalty and obedience to the Lord. Similarly, we're under no obligation then to obey anyone in any way that would require us to be disobedient to the Lord. Your mom and dad can never command you to be disobedient to God. The government cannot command you to be disobedient to God. Well, they can, but you are not obligated to be obedient to that command. We see that worked out with the apostles in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are arrested and they're told to stop sharing the gospel. And what is their response? Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you have to be the judge. And so they left, and guess what they did? They kept preaching and teaching about Jesus. Because they chose obedience to God over sinful obedience to those rulers. So we have to understand that our loyalty and our love for the Lord is always over our loyalty and love to other people. Nevertheless, no matter the quote-unquote worthiness that we see in other people who are in authority over us, we are still under the obligation of obedience to the Lord to give honor to whom honor is due. No matter how evil, no matter how wicked, no matter how sinful we deem someone in authority over us to be, that does not free us from the obligation to show them honor. It's not optional. It's an obligation. There's no one who ends up in any position of power 
apart from God's plan and purposes for our lives. Every station or status of authority is a derived authority. It comes from God. Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 2. He removes kings. He sets up kings. Romans 13.1, more clearly, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, we are to serve, to obey, and to honor all those over us in authority as though we are serving and honoring and obeying the Lord because their authority comes from him. Whether we see them worthy of it or not. And that's difficult. But I tell my boys all the time, that's the test of true obedience. It's not real obedience when you do the things I tell you to do that you want to do. The test of real obedience is when you do the things I tell you to do that you don't want to do. And when God commands us to honor our father and mother, when God commands us to pray for the emperor, when God commands us to honor the emperor, no matter how wicked those emperors were in Peter's day, we are under an obligation to be obedient to the Lord. And we are to then respect and show honor to those who are above us. So understanding that God is first, and we have to love him first, and in loving him, we have to be obedient to his commands to honor those that he has placed in authority over us. We can ask the question then, how do we take this specific command and apply it to our lives? And for us to understand that, we have to begin, first and foremost, with those who've been gifted with authority in our lives. The opening word of this command is honor. And that is such a heavy word. And I mean that literally because the word that is there is honor is a word that we see translated as, as glory in other places in Scripture. It's a word that has this word picture of a weight that is sitting upon someone. And every person that is gifted authority from God is under, is bearing a weight of that authority. There's a weightiness to the position, and that weightiness sits upon moms and dads. And so as we try to apply this, mom and dad, I'm starting with you. If you, I'm, if you are an, an employer, I'm starting with you. If you are in a position of authority over anyone in your life, I'm starting with you. This command says for you to bear well the weight of your authority. Bear it well. It's heavy. It's strong. You will be held accountable for how you live, how you lead. You will be responsible. So you must bear well the weight of the authority that God has placed over you. Parenting specifically, is a responsibility that requires sacrifice. It requires intentionality. It requires endurance. So what does bearing well the weight of authority look like in our lives? This isn't going to be exhausted, but some specific ways that I would instruct us as leaders, as parents, as those with authority. First and foremost, as parents specifically, we must train intentionally. If we're going to bear well the weight of authority, we have to train with intention. What is the purpose? If you had to stop and think about it, what is the purpose of being a parent? God didn't give you that child so that you have somebody to call from the other bedroom because you're too lazy to get out of your recliner and say, go to the fridge and get me something. He didn't give you a bunch of little servants to run around. 
He gave you image bearers of God for a specific season in your life with the intention that you train them up to send them out into the world as big image bearers of God who reflect his glory in the world and live for his kingdom. The time that you have your children in your home is a time that should be characterized by intentionality. They will not become responsible, believing children or adults by accident. This isn't a situation where if they just plug you into your home for the next 18 years, you're going to spit them out on the other side and they're going to know how it is that they are supposed to be responsible adults who contribute to society and who honor the Lord and who are committed to his kingdom. Paul says this, I mean, Paul, God says this in his law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Go to the book of Proverbs and you find again and again the reminder to children to listen, to obey, to hold fast to the instruction that was given to you by your father and your mother. Do you have a plan for these little people that God has given you the gift and the responsibility to steward for 18 years? Brothers and sisters, later is longer. That's not mine, that's another pastor's. But I remember that when we went through a parenting class, there was a pastor who said, later is longer. You have from 18 until you're dead to be their friend. You have from when they're born until they're 18 years old to be their instructor. They will not learn what they need to learn on accident, and you cannot leave it to the world. You cannot leave it to the church. I am not your substitute disciple maker of your children. Joel and Lexi are not your, your substitute disciple makers of your children. There are too many parents today who are outsourcing not only their children's upbringing and their education, but their spirituality to other people. I won't be held accountable for your children outside of my level as their pastor. You will be the one who stands and gives an account for your children. Bear that weight well. Instruct them. Which means that you need to be growing in your relationship with the Lord. You need to be understanding what it is that you are supposed to be giving to them and instructing them in. You are accountable. You have to train with intention. We have to lead by example. Something struck me in this command. As I was reading through this and studying it this week, two realities, well, one reality, but two different truths out of it stood out to me. Number one is this, when God spoke this command, he declared the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. He did so in such a way that all of the people heard these. And when I say all of the people, I mean mothers and fathers and their children. So when God spoke this, he spoke it in such a way that children heard. Because why? They were with their parents. 
which is one of the reasons why we find it so crucial that we regularly have what we call family Sundays when we bring our children in here because it's the pattern set in Scripture that we don't just farm them out somewhere because children are not distractions. No amens on that one. They're blessings from God that need to learn how to sit in a sanctuary and need to learn how to listen, who need to learn how to listen well and take notes and apply what it is that's been taught to them in their lives. So we make it a priority that at least once a month we bring our children in here so that they know that they are a part of this community. There's no such thing, Lexi tells them all the time, as a junior Holy Spirit. But at the same time, this command was given to adults. Because adults are just, adult children are just as likely to break this commandment as small children. We see that happen as Jesus confronts the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. You see, the Pharisees were in this situation where they didn't want to take care of mom and dad in old age. So what was supposed to be there to take care of mom and dad in old age, they devoted to the Lord, and then they got to spend it however they wanted to. As long as they could justify that this is for the kingdom. And Jesus condemns them. Because even as adult children, though the relationship has changed, and as adult children, especially when you are in a household of your own, the obligation to obey mom and dad is different, you are never freed from your obligation to honor your father and your mother. And I can't tell you how many statistics exist that the single worst Christians at taking care of aged parents is evangelicals. Statistics show that Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, other denominations that we consider high church denominations are infinitely better at taking care of mom and dad in their own age, old age than evangelicals are. But the truth of the matter is, I heard Alistair Begg make the statement, moms, dads, you'll never be able to expect as a parent that the children that you're putting in a daycare for 12 hours a day are going to take care of you for 12 hours a day when you need it at the age of 70 and older. It shouldn't shock us that we have an environment and a society where children farm out the care of their parents because their parents farmed out the care of them. We have an obligation. We need to set the example. How do you talk about your parents in front of your children? How do you show honor to those who are in authority over you? We have to lead by our example, but we also have to love our children with humility. Paul commands fathers, right after he gives that command, and he quotes the command about obeying your parents, he gives this command to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction are not unloving. The Bible actually says that it's completely unloving to leave your children undisciplined. 
So I'm just going to say it. I spank my children. You are hereby blessed to spank your children. Please, some of you spank your children. But there are rules and there are regulations. There are ways that we walk and we adhere to simple principles. There are only certain things that are spankable offenses in our home. We never spank more than a certain number of times. We don't get into the place where we're beating them. And we never spank angry. That's the goal. That's a goal. I'm still trying to live up to that last one. Right? There should be limits to even our discipline and our instruction. But we cannot let our children run our home. We cannot create a situation where our children are the center of our home, where we are the center of our home. Only God belongs in the center of our home. And we must raise them up with love and humility. We must be tender at the right moments. We must be firm at the right moments. We must love with humility. And that sometimes looks like sitting your children down and saying, I'm sorry. Dad shouldn't have spoken to you like that. That was sinful and that was wrong. I'm sorry I spanked you while I was still angry and I know that I spanked you too hard. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry that I haven't made God the priority in our home. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry. And sometimes it just simply looks like sitting them down and staring them in the eye and saying, I love you. I love you no matter what. And I'm not perfect, and I recognize that. But I love you. We have to understand our own weakness. Ladies and gentlemen, your kids are as aware of your inadequacies and sins as you are aware of your mom and dad's. If you can see the weaknesses and the frailties and the sins of other people, guess what? Your kids can see it in you. And we have to lead and love with humility to step in and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And love and lead with humility. Mom and dads, we have to bear well the weight of the authority that God has given to us. Kids, students, employees, soldiers, citizens, church members, did I leave anybody out? If you're breathing, you're under someone's authority. And so we must not only bear the weight of the authority well that God has given to us, we have to honor those that are bearing that weight in our lives. So how do we honor those that are under that weight of authority? Well, first off, we do so with obedience. Specifically to children, Paul says elsewhere in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Being willing to obey commands given in love for our instruction, for our edification, for our good, whether that be from our parents or from the police officer who pulls us over or the president that sits at the, front, at the Oval Office behind that sacred desk, whether it be our pastor who is given an authority and a weight to speak into our lives God's word of counsel, we need to be willing to obey where and when that is reflective of God and his commands. Again, going back to the beginning, 
Anybody, anytime somebody gives you a command that would lead you to be disobedient to the Lord, you are not under obligation to obey that command. But where there is any command that doesn't lead you into disobedience, whether you like it or not, you're supposed to obey. In our home, we teach our children, this is how we obey. Right away, all the way, the happy way. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You don't get to do this on your timetable. We don't have discussions negotiations with what you can and cannot do in this. Clean your room doesn't mean just shove it all in a pile in the corner. Put it back the way that your mother had it before you turned it upside down. And you don't get to stomp your foot and slam the door in my face. Your heart and your attitude matters. Why is this so important that we teach this to our children? Because, again, every one of us is under authority. Your four-year-old stomping his foot and screaming in your face is your 14-year-old who flips you off and slams the door in your face. And is the 28-year-old who cusses out the cop and runs. We need to train our children that ultimately there is a God who has given authority and structure over the universe. We want to train our children to hear a voice of authority and respond. Why? Because one day God is going to call them to repentance and to faith and we want them to obey right away, all the way, the happy way. A child that won't obey a parent is a child that won't obey God. A man or a woman who won't obey their boss or those in authority and society over them, is one who won't obey God. We, obey, we honor those in authority with our obedience. We honor them with our words. Exodus chapter 21, God says, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. How about that? Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. A curse is defined by Douglas Seward as something that is meant to predict, wish, pray for, or cause trouble or disaster on a person or a thing. We are to use our words to build up, not to tear down. Whether that be our parents, whether that be our teachers, whether that be police officers, whether that be politicians, we are not supposed to be in a place where we use our words to curse them and tear them down. Instead, we should respect and honor them in how we speak about them. To the best of my ability, I never want to stand in this pulpit and ever speak ill of my parents. My parents aren't perfect. I can say that, they would tell you that. But I don't need to get into the specifics and share with you the ways that they are imperfect. That's not honoring my parents with my words. I don't care how good of an illustration it might be. I want to honor them in how I speak about them and how I speak to them. So we need to honor those in authority with our words. We need to honor them with our attitudes and our affections as well. Peter actually commands it, commands it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, honor the emperor. But specifically to children in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, in verse 3, every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Revere there is a word for respect. 
Revere there is a word for honor. Revere there is an attitude and an affection towards our mother and father that we are under obligation to give to them whether they deserve it or not. We should work inside of ourselves and inside of our hearts to love our mothers and our fathers, to love those that are in authority over us, to want what is best for, uh, for them as best as we are able to provide it. Our attitudes matter because our attitudes ultimately shape our affections, and that's how else we can honor those that are around us, our actions Exodus 21, 15 gives a negative command. If you strike your father or your mother, you shall be put to death. That was an Old Testament command. How about that one? Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his voice or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's heavy stuff. A child who's disobedient, who's rebellious. A child who's a glutton and a drunkard. A child who will not adhere to the commands and the laws as God has given to them is a threat to society. That's why the child was meant to be put to death. That it, the evil might be purged from the people. Now that's not a command. We live under a new covenant where we're not under the Old Testament law. So you don't get to, um, you're not going to bring your kids to me and stone them because they won't listen to you, okay? It's not the way that's going to work. But do you see the severity that God places on this command, on this principle? The home is the heart of our society. Children who will not obey, who rebel, who act out, are a threat to society, which is why we must, as parents, take our responsibility in those infant stages all the way up to elementary school and secondary school, while we have them in that place where they are under our authority, we must take this seriously. And so as those who are under authority, we live by example. We live in actions that are obedient, actions that are honorable. I never want to live my life in such a way that it would bring shame on my family. I don't want to do something and, and end up on the booking log down at the sheriff's office because I know the embarrassment that that would put not only on my, fam on my parents, but my family as a whole. I want my actions to be honorable for the sake of honoring my parents. But I think beyond just honoring them with our actions, I think the biggest way that we can honor those that are in authority over us is with our faith. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, when we live by faith and not by sight, when we trust in Jesus Christ in all of the ways that he has blessed us and promised us, then we bring honor to anyone who is around us. It can never be dishonorable to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It can never be dishonorable to put our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is the key, brothers and sisters, when you've got someone in your life, because I know some of you have parents who are abusive. I know some of you had parents who wrote you off. You were abandoned. You were neglected. 
you were treated like a slave instead of a son. I know some of you have people in your lives that are in authority who drag you through the mud every single chance that they can get. And the question of how do I honor somebody like that is difficult. How do I honor that person that I know? I know that I'm a sinner, but they got to be worse than me, right? Going back to the beginning, they're imperfect. How in the world am I supposed to submit to their authority? Jesus did it. Jesus was perfect. From the moment he was born, there was a never a moment when he was unjust, unrighteous. There was never a moment when he was sinful and undeserving of love. There was never a moment in his life when he was ever less holy than anyone around him, and that included his mom and dad. And yet Luke tells us that Jesus went home and he submitted to them. Knowing he was perfect and could claim perfection. Without question, they were less perfect than him. And yet he surrendered and submitted to them. Why? Because they were the ones that the Father had placed in authority over him. Paul did it. We've been studying through the book of Acts. And just a couple of weeks ago, he's been arrested. We were in the passage of Scripture where Paul had been arrested. And he's on trial, and the high priest commands that he be slapped. And Paul lets it fly a little bit and verbally attacks the high priest. And somebody corrects him on it, and immediately Paul repents and said, I apologize because the Bible tells me I'm not supposed to speak ill of one of the leaders of your people. Despite the fact that he'd just been slapped for no reason at the order of this man. When he tells us, when Peter tells us to honor the emperor, the emperor there is an emperor who's later going to kill Christians. I'm talking kill Christians, not just to take rights away. I'm talking about hang them up, coat them in wax, and set them on fire. And he commands the people to honor them. But think about even more than that, the obedience of Jesus Christ to the point that he is sweating drops of blood in the garden and crying, Father, if there is any other way, please let me take it. And yet he submitted in obedience to God's plan and not his own. And that plan took him to death. To death. Death on a cross where he didn't just endure physical pain. He endured your eternity of damnation in hell and mine as the wrath of God for sin was poured out on him. That's the path of obedience that Jesus Christ walked. And I can tell you with pretty firm confidence that you and I will never be asked to walk that path. Even though God may call us to a place where we do have to die. The promise is still there that Jesus Christ has done everything that is necessary. And where and when you and I find it impossible to be obedient, where and when we fail to honor our father and our mother, the truth of the matter is that in every single one of those instances, Jesus Christ's perfect, stand, or perfect obedience stands for your imperfect obedience. 
If we would just put our faith and our trust in him, that is when we get the ultimate promise of everlasting life, everlasting life that cannot be taken away in a place and in a land where we get to dwell with God for all of eternity, the place that the Bible calls heaven, that cannot be taken away. Why? Because Jesus Christ has secured it for us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the down payment of that promise within us. Why? Because the Father is faithful to bring about all that it is that he has ordained and accomplished in this world. So when we find it hard to honor authority that is around us, we just have to look to Jesus. First for our inspiration, but then also look to Jesus to trust in the gospel that he has been perfect where we have been imperfect. And he makes up for all of our failures if we would simply turn from ourselves and trust in him again and again and again. And as we surrender to the Father, We'll surrender to those that he has placed in authority in our lives for his glory and for the good of the world that's around us. It won't be easy all the time. The truth of the matter is that God is with you and God will empower you to do what you can never do on your own. How is it that you need to respond to this? How is it that you need to bear well the weight of authority that God has given to you? How is it that you need to honor those that are in your lives that are in authority? Maybe you need to make some reconciliation with your children, with your boss, and apologize for the ways that you have failed to be respectful, the ways that you have failed to lead. Maybe you need to walk out of this room convicted and firm in your faith in the Lord that says, my past is forgiven. My future is in front of me. And I'm going to be faithful with today and tomorrow in the power of the Holy Spirit.